to the Smart Connector podcast, which looks at the power of connection in business and life. Featuring solo episodes as well as a range of exciting interviews with entrepreneurs across multiple sectors, we offer tips and advice to build your impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons, and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Welcome to the Smart Connected podcast. I have a great guest for you. It's Sandy Brown. Welcome, Sandy. Hello, Jane. So Sandy is a conflict resolution and negotiation specialist, and she's a lawyer. And I'd love you to just tell us about how your journey started, Sandy, and how you came to be an expert in this field. Yes, thank you for having me on here. I'm happy to share. So I think I've been mediating since I was a child, really, but I just didn't know it was called mediation. And uh, so I initially started off being being a solicitor. So I've been a a litigation solicitor for 14 years. And there's a place for, for litigation, but actually mediation is, for me, the way forward. And I think that's where the world is is going now as well. Yeah. So mediation and litigation, they're, they're two opposite ends of the spectrum, aren't they? Because <laughs> litigation is when people get really angry with each other and they all want their own way and they want to win, don't they? And mediation is when they come together and they find a win-win solution. So would you say that it is the goal of a lot of should we say litigation lawyers to actually bring opposing sides together and get them to agree a solution or would you say that really the juice is in is in actually keeping that conflict alive and 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 actually you know keeping a little bit of hostility in the picture you know that is such a great question (laughs) because a lot of people think litigation and mediation are are the opposites and actually you know if you take it in its rawest form yes you know you can either litigate or mediate but nowadays I think a a combined approach people are finding is is better I mean you're always going to get some solicitors who who love a juicy conflict and you know let's be honest it's good for fees and I'm pleased to say that the firm I, I work for they are taking a more holistic approach and you know they're not so so interested in, in polarization it's it's more what's the right thing for the client if it is to litigate if it is to go through the courts then then of course we can advise about that but if there is another way you know if settlement is there i mean as litigators you should always consider settlement and mediation as well and mediation i would say is more of a win win whereas litigation people think it's the myth of win-lose, you know, but I I have found even in litigation cases, multi-million pound cases that I used to deal with years ago, and even now, even when parties win, they don't feel like they have succeeded. That's because they've not been heard and understood. Whereas if they had mediated, they would have perhaps come up with a win-win situation where they would have felt heard and understood and still you know had a win in their mind yes and i must say that i remember when i separated from my father of my oldest two daughters that we actually we engaged a mediation specialist and the difference was enormous really it was quite surprising that we could actually come together and agree some things so it wasn't it wasn't that easy but it was so worth it in the end so i've had a little bit of experience of that myself and yeah it's always better isn't it just leaves you with a better feeling doesn't it i'm really glad you mentioned that because you know there's different types of mediation because there's mediation and litigation but there's also family mediation and I, I do family mediation and and actually the common thing I hear is, oh, I'm not sure this is right for mediation or my partner will never agree to mediation or it's, you know, it's going to be extremely hard work. But actually, you know, or, or we don't communicate so we can't mediate. So actually those situations which are perfect for mediation and as you said, it, it, it really helps you and actually you find people do work through it you know, in a mediation to get to the outcome. 
So, and I, I mean, did it save you lots of time, money and stress? Well, it did actually. And it, I, I have to say that it's not the same as just having a mediator who's like a counsellor, because for me, when we had this mediation solicitor lawyer, then she was actually somebody that knew the law. So I think you have to know the law because you have to know what you're giving away and what you're keeping and what all of those kind of minutiae. And if you aren't actually a lawyer, but you're trying to kind of mediate, then you can only really go so far. So for me, it was very important that she wasn't a counsellor, you know, wasn't like a yes. marriage guidance counsellor or something like that, which a lot of people think mediators are, because obviously there yes. are also mediators in counselling environments and marriage guidance yes. and all of that kind of thing. But it is it is a very specific thing, isn't it, that you do? It, it is. And uh, there are non-legal mediators out there. Mm -hmm. And yeah, some people say they prefer them, but what I found in the years I've been mediating is people like the fact that I am a solicitor. I'm a litigation solicitor. I also do family. So because I have that legal knowledge, they know that I'm bringing that to the table and I can give parties more options. Yes. Uh, so I think it does give me the edge that I'm a solicitor mediator, <laughs> straight negotiator. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it does... It, it's always going to be good to have lots of specialism and more than that I would say experience you know if if I've never dealt with conflict before in my life how can I help others and I know you you, you may ask me about that but I, I have dealt with conflict in lots of different situations and I think I can add more value as a result. Yeah so it must be very rewarding what, what you do Sandy I'm sure that when you see people that are, you know, they have actually managed to come together and they have managed to resolve their issues and both sides go away feeling, well, actually, that's pretty fair. And we've we found something that works for both of us. That must be amazing. I'm sure it is. But what happens when people just are being unreasonable and they just do not want to see the other person's side? Can it get a bit fraught at times? Oh, definitely. Yes. I mean, it, so two things. Yes, it is rewarding when you get to the end. I mean, I it just gives me such a boost. That's why I love what I do, you know, bringing parties together, especially difficult conflicts where they are polarised. They're not seen eye to eye for lots of reasons. You know, I get my toolkit out and decide which which skill, which tool am I going to use in that mediation. But actually, when things get fraught, I would say you mustn't shy away from that. In fact, it needs to get fraught to go out the other end, to come out the other end. It, it, it needs to get fraught so that parties can really resolve their issues. And, you know, it's okay for it to get heated. Absolutely. And in fact, when it does get heated, you actually sometimes find the root cause of that conflict. Then you oh. think, oh, okay, this is what this is really about. Mm. So, so let, let's get down to it because I love these nitty gritty, meaty conversations. <laughs> and, you know, root cause is like, it's just a magic, there's a magic couple of words to me. So what root causes have you found when you have started unpicking, should we say, these kind of high stakes situations? What's underneath it, typically? Brilliant question. I'm so pleased you asked me that. I'm, I'm so <laughs> delighted. So it is all about human needs, okay? When when someone feels that their needs are not being met, then it's going to lead to all kinds of conflict. Now, it could be... So, so I use lo lots of techniques to establish what the needs are, but common common issues that come up, which is the root cause. So I would say surface level, you know, we're not getting on, you know, we want a divorce if we're talking about divorce. But actually, if you drill down to it, they've been unhappy for a while and maybe it's they've lost their job and it's that lack of certainty, uh -huh. that, you know, the lack of importance that, that is making them feel that they don't want to be in this marriage anymore because they can see there is, you know, they can't be the provider. And for, for a lot of men, not being able to provide for a family is, is the worstest thing. So they just, they want to end 
matters. Yeah. You know, oh, or it, it yeah. could be just the, just the need to feel important, you know, to feel attractive again. A lot of women say they're in relationships and their husbands that make them feel attractive, you know, and they think by having, a, you know, going through a divorce and finding a new partner, maybe that will help. But also people just change as a, as a result, you know, they've had life events, someone has died. And actually, they've realised, you know, I'm not that happy in this in this relationship. So I want to. I mean, we're talking a lot about family mediation, but even with litigation cases, you know, people say, "Oh, it's not the money; it's the principle." It's like, okay, principles <laughs> cost money, but what principle is is this? What's this really about? Is my favourite question. Yeah, but you can't ask that straight away. You have to, you know, drill. You have to talk for a while, drill down, and then I'm like, okay, what's this really about? What's your overall outcome? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's when you really get to the reason behind the conflict. Yes, yes. And so, in business, when you say what's your what's your ideal outcome, what do you think people usually want as a result of? litigation i mean i'm sure that it's more money probably is is the the fundamental answer but are, are there any other things that people fight over commonly yes so it's interesting how people always say it's just the money you know he owes me this much money he must give it you know he's got to give it back to me or he didn't do the job properly i want the money back but actually if you drill down they'll all be based on emotional reasons Someone feels someone's taken advantage of them. And that's what it's about. And then the money thing is that, you know, I'm not saying it's not about money, of course, but it's that's not the main reason. You know, if someone feels yeah. they've been taken advantage of or, you know, they've had the wool pull over their eyes, you know, all, all the same kind of thing. And then the money as well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to sting. And land, I've noticed land creates so much so much issues so many disputes to do with land we're talking about a couple of inches of land oh yeah get very head up about it uh, because it's really important to them or nothing else is in their life is going well but they know that bit of land is theirs and they yeah. know that for a, for a fact and certainty and they're willing to fight for it you know i have I actually have a typical a really good example of that so when i lived in my old house there was our garden backed onto this really big garden of this really big mansion should we say and there was another house next to us and they'd built a shed in their back garden and when these people moved into their new mansion then yeah. with this enormous garden there was right at the bottom of the garden they decided that they were going to to look at the boundaries and they wrote a letter to my next door neighbors saying that their shed encroached on the back of their garden by two inches and that they would have to move it <laughs> <laughs> which is just extraordinary and so everybody of course the neighbors they told everybody all around and so everybody started hating these people that had just moved into this big house this kind of enormous mansion that had just moved out from london and they thought that they could just treat everybody and it just went on and on and on and it was just a ridiculous yeah. situation so that that was a, that's a, an example of that isn't it it really is. And actually, what you've described is actually happening now. So, you know, at, at, so I'm partially employed and partially self-employed. And at work, I have cases with describing exactly what you've described. And actually, then the whole street hates these people who <laughs> asked for this, you know, and it's become it, it's, it's become ridiculous, ridiculous, you know, fences, garages, sheds you know we have crumbles <laughs> overgrowing and and i it's often when i speak to them they say look i can write a letter and if the letter doesn't work I, you know we can issue proceedings but you know this is all going to cost and what where is this going to lead to you know there needs to be a degree of compromise not always but you see that is another situation where i think mediation can help yeah um, but, or, you know, if someone accidentally, I don't know, builds a, a fence three metres out, you know, encroaches on their land, you know, that needs to be rectified. But people say, how dare he do that? And that's it. It will spiral out of control, whereas a conversation could have been had. But people are so busy 
and you know if you're having a quick chat with a neighbor in the garden you're not thinking clearly or necessarily you just say how per how dare they do that you know and before you know it the other person reacts and then instead of responding we're reacting we become childlike yeah in conflict and we all do you know i'm a mediator do i never experience conflict of course i do yeah. <laughs> well, none of us are perfect are we no no it's a learning curve for yeah sure. so so did you did you study psychology because you talked about the human needs and of course tony robbins for example he always talks about about the six human needs and yeah and, and so all of that and what you were talking about going into a child state there's, there's a transactional analysis there is. isn't there which is to do yes. with the way that we relate to each other it sounds like like you've actually absorbed quite a lot of those lessons and you bring them into your work is that is that Right, Sandy. Wow. <laughs> Did you look into my mind? Absolutely. I'm quite good at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you picked up on 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 all those things, and and you're absolutely correct. I mean, you can do the traditional route. You know, you could be in the solicitor and then do qualification to become a mediator. But actually, what makes a, a really good mediator is someone who has had those life experiences and is on a constant, as Tony Robbins says, constant and never-ending improvement journey it's can i yeah. and that's what it stands for and that i have a passion in in the subject of conflict resolution and mediation and i think there isn't just one way of mediating and i think it's important to learn so you said about ta which is the transactional analysis you know adult to adult conversation whereas people often do the you know critical parent you know rebellious child compliant child so no, if anyone wants to know more about that, that's NLP, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah. And then Tony Robbins, he talks about the six human needs, you know, certainty, uncertainty, significance, uh, growth and contribution, love and connection. And often yeah. when I'm in a mediation, I, I, I do look at what they need. Is it money? Is it, you know, is it importance? What have they lost? But I also think, what need are they trying to satisfy? And I do use Tony Robbins' human needs in, in that situation. Obviously, I don't tell them that. I just, I think it through. And that helps me because it's just, it's just another tool to understand someone better. Yeah. And even with negotiation, you know, I read, I read a book called Never Split the Difference by uh, Chris Voss. And, mm. and he talks about active listening yeah and empathy yeah you know that those are the key skills for negotiation it's it's not you know having the stern voice and this is what i want and making demands it's actually uncovering what the other person wants so i think you know open your mind and and find out different ways of of you know trying to understand the other person better yes yes uh, I think that's just so important, isn't it? Just understanding and perhaps also reflecting back at them some things that they don't, maybe they don't even see or understand themselves. Do you find yeah. you do that very much? Yes, people have blind spots. You know, I, I did psychology and philosophy at A level, and but there's there's so much more since what I studied at, at uni and college. You know, there is. People have blind spots. People are unaware of so many things. And as a as a mediator, negotiator, you know, I I act as a mirror mm -hmm. and make them reflect on what they've said. And and but but doing so with kindness and and nurturing. You know, you you do need to change your voice. You do need to camouflage. And I I feel I do that well. Uh, you know, you can't. You have to talk people's language. Yes. You, know, you have to talk their words. If they, you know, it's no point talking to someone in a, in a way that they're not going to be able to relate to you. Mm. So I think that's really important. Uh, I also read Katie Byron. I don't know if anyone's come across that resource. She's she's a, amazing with her four questions. Oh, Katie uh, Byron. And oh, what's the book called? Well, I would say look up Katie Byron and it's called, I, I'm sure it's The Four Questions. I don't know if I've got anything written down now. Okay. So 
But what she does with her questions is she the, the, there's a concept called the turnaround. Mm-hmm. And when we say, oh, she's like this, is that person really like that? Or am I really like that? Uh-huh. And then project, are, are we projecting? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, and, and I think also when, you know, when people say he always does this, she mm. never does that. Yeah. It's kind of breaking that down as well. Is that really true? So Katie yes. Byron says, starts off with, is that really true? Mm-hmm. Is that always the case? Yes, yes. Fantastic. That sounds like, like a great book. And one of my favourite books um, on this topic while, while we're on it is Crucial Conversations. I don't know if you've ever read that mm-hmm. book, but it's when the stakes are high and when emotions run high and when there's a difference of opinion. That's, that's a crucial, con- that's how you define a crucial conversation. And of course, when I when I heard about that, I thought, you know, there are so many times in my life that I've been in that situation, of course, most oftenly with my ex. (laughs) (laughs) But it, you know, rang a bell straight away. And those are the most difficult ones for us to those are the most difficult conversations for us to manage uh, and actually come out with ourselves. And I guess that's when we need help from third parties, isn't it? Yes, I, I must look up that that book. I haven't read that, so mm-hmm. you know, just when you think you've read nearly all of them, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. never read enough. Yeah, but, uh, it's interesting how, how you said you learned that in your relationship because you know, even even Tony Robbins says you're going to grow the most in a relationship because because in a relationship, all your fears are going to come out. You know, am I enough? Am I going to be loved? And you know all all the little nitty bits about your personality—they're all going to come out in a relationship. So you learn about yourself more than than you would normally in that context. Yeah, I think it does depend on the type of relationship that you have, and I don't think the relationship that I have was particularly conducive, shall we say, to personal growth <laughs> and development. I won't say any more. <laughs> But I think what what is interesting is that, well, again, because we are talking about personal development and some foundational psychological principles, I think one of the things that really made me realise why my, let's say, my last marriage didn't work is because, um, and I I got this from John Demartini, who I'm going to be interviewing fairly soon for. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. So, so the values factor. So I did some training with him a few years ago, and what he explained is: look, you just have to look around and say, and say, what are my values? What is most important to me at the moment? And you don't even have to have to think very hard about it because okay what do I spend my time on what do I spend my money on where at where do I spend most of my time physically and what is around me in that space and those are your values so you know my values are very much around my business at the moment that's where I spend a lot of my time I spend a lot of money on my business and I'm in my workspace a lot of the time so I realized that my ex's values were very his value system was very different to mine and that we were always trying to we were kind of clashing like that because I wanted something that he didn't want and sometimes people don't even see that and they don't even realize it uh, they just think um, why can't I get through to this person mm. and of course the reason why is just because well they're looking at the world through a different lens, lens. And, yes. and they're never going to look at it through your lens and it doesn't yes. matter how hard you try, it's just never, ever going to work. And I yeah. realized that <laughs> retrospectively. And I'm not a stupid person, but I tell you what, it took me a, a long time bashing yeah. my head against a brick wall to actually realize that. When I finally learned about the, the values, I thought, my God, this is like the scales have just fallen from my eyes. So sometimes it really does take somebody from the outside, doesn't it, to shine the light on what's actually going on and bring their wisdom because we can't always see ourselves can we no you you are right and it does take a third person to shine that light you know i know counselors do that but i think 
you know, other pe this is where a third party can really benefit. People are like, oh, I don't need a mediator. I'll, I'll just sit down with my husband and we'll have a conversation. And I'm not saying in every situation you should have a mediator, but if you are struggling and you're having the same conversations and you're not seeing the same, you know, you said about lenses, we all put on different lenses and we, we yes. can look at the same thing and see it differently. But if yes. you are struggling and you think, keep having the same conversation again and again, you know, and I'm phrasing it differently or we keep having the same clash, I would say that's when you do need a third party. You do mm -hmm. need someone objective, you know, and have a conversation with someone because there may be something that you're just not seeing or some baggage you're carrying from the past and that you're bringing into that relationship. But I can, I can relate to what you said about trying everything and thinking I'm not a stupid person why is my relationship working? <laughs> uh, I can relate to that I mean I've, I've been through a divorce before and so you know and I tried I tried everything to make my marriage work so it's you know people are so harsh hard on themselves when when it may well just be the values are different or you want you wanted to clearly grow as an individual and you're into that personal development and maybe they weren't no. Well, no, they, they were probably into their own growth, but they weren't into <laughs> me growing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting, actually, because it's relationships, but also I've noticed there's been a lot of conflict around after someone's passed away. Uh -huh. and that's very, very relevant topic at the moment with coronavirus. You know, there's been so many, so many deaths and that's yeah. led to business disputes and led to oh yeah you know disputes between family members yep yes and and you read about about it in the papers don't you as well and i know particularly did this thing about who do the business belong to who mm. yeah who does it really belong to and what's going to happen to all the assets associated with it what's yeah. all of, all of those all of those things. I know they're really big issues. I've seen it as well. And in fact, I was just thinking, uh, Sandy, as, as you were speaking, I was thinking back to when I worked in media. And I was thinking I worked for two businesses where there were, let's just say, partners that didn't really get on that well together. And one of them, they actually had a mediation, a, a mediation specialist come in and see them on a weekly basis. And they managed to, you know, they managed to sort everything out. They managed to keep the business together. I don't really know what happened behind closed doors because I wasn't on the board of that particular company. But what I do know is that they came together and they made this business a success and then they sold it because that's the name of the game. Yeah. That's what everybody wants to do in media. Is yes. Like sell their business <laughs> and get the business and sell it, yeah. Exactly. So then the business that I came into. So what actually happened when I joined this business is the two partners that were running it, they were like parents that they were like, we were all like the children. It didn't matter, it didn't matter what uh, level of seniority we, we were in the company. These two guys owned it. And they really didn't get on well with each other. And they would they would try and get everybody to take sides. And so you had to be oh. either in his camp or either in his camp. Oh, and dear. people that were in his camp, they weren't really allowed to be friendly with the people that were in his camp. And it was very, <laughs> honestly, very was, childish. Oh, I know. I know. It was very, very hard uh, to actually straddle the both camps. And it was just an awful, awful situation. And what happened is the bookkeeper was the go-to person. She was like the, the company counsellor for these two guys. So they used to go into her room at different... She was the only one who could actually get their attention. But, of course, it just... I mean, she wasn't doing her bookkeeping work. So okay. oh. basically what happened is one of them ran off to the US, leaving the other one with, you know, the baby. And uh, that was an opportunity for me because that was when he transferred some shares to me and said, I just can't do it. You know, UBMD, you, you yeah. work with me, you know, let's let's just, you know, build it up and sell it because he doesn't want any of it anymore. And he thinks, you know, that I'm a loser or whatever. So that was really an opportunity for me. And we did build it and we did sell it. And that was, you know, my exit from that 
world. So that all kind of worked out well, but I was just remembering that kind of awful situation and how that unresolved conflict, it spills out, doesn't it, onto many, many people all around you. Hi, Richard. Yes. Hi. Yeah. Absolutely. It really yeah. does. I mean, I see it all the time in workplaces as mm -hmm. well. Yeah. And, you know, uh, then it's really awkward for the, for the rest of the team. You know, they, especially if they get along with both, yeah you know then they're like oh i can't really talk to her and birthday lunch and shall i invite her shall i not and you know it's it is unresolved conflict that you know being really serious now is is costing businesses yeah. thousands of pounds every year millions and, you know, billions i was going to say uh for that's just locally it is it is brilliant so the last stat i know was 33 billion pounds a year for businesses going through conflict but i'm you know talking about a small business you know with i don't know 15 employees 20 employees it costs them thousands but that's just money and then then there's the time the hours the stress like you were saying you know they kept going to that lady you know did you say the, the bookkeeper and she's i need to call the payroll then she's not able to do her work so i had the same phone call just a couple of weeks ago one friday the company she she does everything to do with the company hr she many functions but she can't do any of that she can't secure any new contracts because she's too busy solving conflict between these two people the lady's going to her crying the man's moaning you know, it's, and that's when she got me in and she was so pleased when I said the workplace mediation was successful. She said, I'm actually going to have my life back. You know, she's going to be able to get on with her job. She's yeah. going to be able to get home yeah. and not moan about these two people to her husband. Yes. And actually be fully present with her children. So when yes. someone's in conflict, it's yeah. so draining yes it's draining for them it's draining mm -hmm. for the, all the people around them yes and the hours the time the stress not to mention mental health yeah you know it's a big one yeah i mean it's it's a no-brainer to get an, a mediator involved yeah productivity productivity plunges and that was the thing that i saw in in this business because the other thing is, it's leadership, isn't it? So neither of them, they were not demonstrating leadership. And when you have a leaderless company, then it becomes a free-for-all and there's all these power grabs. And yes. so the, the, the whole business feels very unstable. So I personally think the issue of conflict resolution should be right up there as number one on the agenda. Look, if... And in fact, I, I know from going through the acquisition process and obviously knowing people in private equity and venture capital and all of those, all of those areas, that if there is conflict between board members, yeah, they, the company becomes uninvestable. And and it yeah. really does because nobody wants to go near it. It's it's they know that it is a bad thing. So yes. I mean, no, no one wants to get involved in an organisation like that because mm -hmm. eventually someone's going to want to bring a claim, you know, against someone. Yeah. And, and I think this is this is the thing. It, there needs to be early intervention. Yes. And you know, but I think people are afraid of of labelling. Oh, the conflict's got so bad. We need a mediator. It shouldn't be that way. It should just be part of the organization's culture yes. that mm -hmm. actually you know we do try and resolve matters between ourselves but if it's okay to ask for help it's okay to get a mediator in it's mm -hmm. not a bad cross against your name in fact it's it's a more adult way of dealing with things you know yeah. and actually it's going to save thousands of pounds and when you said about leadership how can you lead when you're not you know you need to lead by example these recent workplace mediation i did both were heads of their own department. Yes. And I did say to them in the mediation that the way they deal with this conflict, because everyone's aware that they don't get on, these yes. two heads of department, the way they deal with this conflict shows their skills as a leader to their team. And yeah. they go back and say, I mean, what do they say? They say, we went to a mediator 
And what, what will they say then? What's the message they're going to give to their team? Yeah. You know, they signed a confidentiality agreement, but people talk. And, you know, will they say, actually, we went to the mediation, it was successful, and we've sorted out our differences, which is what they agreed to say, which then shows the, the team that actually things can get resolved. Well, yes, as I said, the business that I, it was actually an events business that, that I worked in. In fact, I, I interviewed the, the the owner of the business for my podcast earlier on, because when he sold the business, he actually went off and bought a vineyard in New Zealand. So nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that was what he did. But anyway, so I do remember that, that really the way that they dealt with that was very mature. You know, it really was. And I think everybody kind of respected the fact that they were very different people, but they 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 addressed that in a in a sensible way so that they were together. Everybody knew yes. that they were together, that they were doing this thing together. And so as a result, everybody was at peace. Yes. Whatever their feelings about these two people and I happen to really like one of them and I really dislike the other one. But anyway, that, that's <laughs> a personal thing. But nevertheless, they were together. It was like a functional marriage right? Um, that, that was actually going places. So I, I do they think... They had that common cause then. Yeah, common cause. They had yeah, a common definitely. cause. They had a common outcome. And yeah. they were clearly driven in mm -hmm. order to achieve that, even at the risk of knowing that they don't gel, their personalities no. don't gel. Mm -hmm. You know, people are so afraid of being different. You know, I don't get along with her because they're different. You can still achieve what you want to achieve, even if you don't get on. You don't. Yeah. You can't. You know, to expect everyone to behave the way you do, I think is a it's the biggest myth. You know, people people want people to react to situations like they do. So, you know, I may say to you, Jane. You know, he did this and he did that. He shouldn't have done that, should he, Jane? I, I <laughs> want you to agree with me. But actually, that's not the be-all and end-all. It's okay. You don't have to get people to agree as long as you know why you're in a, in a relationship with them, whether it's a working relationship, business, whatever the cause. Yeah. And it, it was interesting what you said about, in a way, there, there's almost some stigma about people bringing in some somebody like, you know, mediation lawyers, like things, all oh, things must have got really, really bad. <laughs> or, or, you know, it, it's the same, it's the same kind of closed mindset that if you go and see a psychologist or, or a therapist, or you, you hire a coach, so there's something deficient with you. Yeah. And, and it's such an old, fashioned kind of attitude because if, if you can afford it and if the help's available any expert help from outside as long as it's the right help is only going to make you stronger we are stronger together that's what I believe a hundred percent it's really interesting I think the perception is changing but there is still a lot of stigma there I mean these one thing that these two employees said who were heads of their department is oh the the organization the employer must think quite a quite a lot of us you know quite, must think you know much of us to to organize this mediation i said that's right they you're obviously valuable members you know valuable employees otherwise the the employer wouldn't have bothered but i also the employer had had enough yes <laughs> and you know i think it was a, a last resort and i was recommended but it shouldn't have to get to that stage but people just feel that it's got to be a last resort mediation i mean i, d I definitely think legal process should be a last resort for sure yes. you know yes. and you know I'm, I'm also thinking uh sandy because i also have a, a a small business in in property and some of the bitterest and the and the most ugly fallouts have been in that world because I think, I don't know if you've seen any of this, but I think what tends to happen, and this is what I've seen, is that people have this idea that investing in other people's development projects, for example, is a safe thing to do, or let's uh, just say a low risk thing to do. I've right. actually done it myself. And I've got to say it was an absolute roller coaster. I did come out on top, but I lost money on 
uh, you know, one project and I didn't make very much on another one. And then I made a lot on another one. And then I thought, well, I'm just crazy doing this stuff. You know, this is yeah. like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's just completely mad. So I see a lot of people go into go into it with just this kind of rosy idea that it's going to be OK. <laughs> and obviously, as a lawyer, you will know that in those types of projects, not only is there risk from outside so there's this constantly kind of moving feast with property because you never know what legislation is going to come in what's going to happen with the economy of course there's things like brexit who knew what the outcome of brexit would be and what the impact would be and you know so there's all of these planning laws planning laws can change people can you know they can move from one planning department to another and something that was looked as though it was going to be absolutely a dead cert to get passed can then get refused and all of these things you know they can just go on and on and on so it's very very high risk and what I've seen many times over is people come into that situation just thinking about the rewards And of course, when it goes wrong, when things take longer, when unforeseen things happen and it turns out that they're going to either not make much money or they are actually going to lose money. And I know people that have lost a lot of money, then, of course, it gets very, very, very bitter. So those are probably the highest stakes situations that I've seen. Do you work with any people in in the property industry and do you do you see this at all? Yes, every week. So oh, um, okay. <laughs> I'm thinking about my caseload at the moment. I've got there's a lot of the litigation files I've got are property related. So right. a lot of my clients are developers and what you were saying, people <laughs> trying to broker a deal and then it didn't quite go according to plan and did they have anything signed no but his word was as good as and oh yeah all oh. the usual things and you're like really you fell for this but you know there's the law and then there's the real world and of course you know hindsight is 2020 you know people have been doing these kind of deals for so long so when it comes to the maybe the third or fourth deal and it, then it all falls apart. They're like, well, the first two deals were fine, but it's a risk every time, yes, you know? Yes. And I think people, there is there is an element of get rich scheme. Get rich quick, you know? yes. Get, get rich quick, sorry, yes. Mm. Thanks for, <laughs> you know, and they, people don't think about the risk, whereas if they've got some legal advice beforehand, you know, the amount of times I hear people saying, well, they'll wait until they're about to be made bankrupt. That's a very common one I've got at the moment. Really? Well, bankruptcy hearing, I've been burying my head in the sand. Can you now help? It's like, oh. can you come to me sooner? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, you know, or, or order for sale is another popular one. Yep. You know, the money's own, you know, people signing legal charges under duress. Uh, but trying to prove that and then the, mm. you know it's it's a minefield but I love helping people I love helping clients and there are a lot of people who you know who admit yes I was scared so I signed this document or I made a mistake you know and I guess you learn from your mistakes but it can be extremely costly and it can be very painful as well. And I have to say that I learned from from my mistakes and knowing what I know now, I do actually support investors, but I do it in a very, very limited way. And I will only work with investors who really, they absolutely know the risks and they know that, you know, if they lose money, if they lose everything, it's not going to wipe them out. It's just going to be a bit painful because they know what they're getting themselves in, into. And yeah. those... So those are the investors that are okay. You know, they're okay. And do, do, um, they're not going to put their house up for collateral or anything like that. No, 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 no. They're not yeah. going to be put on the streets. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Especially when they've got a family, a young family. Yeah. You now, as a chap at the moment, he's got a young family and he's got worried about this order for sale. And it's a mess. It's a total mess. Yeah. Oh, poor, poor guy. You know, I really feel for him because... Yeah. I've, you know, that's why in, on the group, I, I often say this to people, but I say, look, I'll speak to anybody. I'll give anybody, any entrepreneur who's 
who's going through struggles, I will give them a bit of time. I won't charge them for it because it's the very, the very least that I, that I can do is just give them like a little bit of help and support because I know that people have the best intentions in the world, but they do make mistakes. Yeah, so so it's yeah, it, it's you've got to be compassionate. You know, you've got to be kind. You got to you got to realize they're only human. They're only trying to do their best. They're only trying to provide. And well, we're all we're all only human, trying to do our best and trying to provide for our families, really, aren't we? It's just we are. Some of us make worse mistakes than others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually, even as uh, adults talking about when we were talking about conflict, you know, we all become childlike and. We are not just human, but we're emotional beings. And yes. nearly all the conflict that I have seen, experienced myself and help people resolve yes. people, is due to emotions. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always an emotional driver. Yes. You know, either they're, you know, going towards pain, you know, trying to pull away from pain or they want something, but it's it's always linked to a couple of emotions is is what I found. Yes. Um, do, do you find that conflict resolution can actually uh, address those emotions? Do you find that you can lower the emotional temperature, or do you find that you're just you just kind of divert people's attention away and you just make them see things in a slightly more rational way? That's a really good question. So when when we are when people are in conflict and I'm, I'm you know i'm trying to work with them to try and resolve it you know it's important to find out what the emotions are and label those you know yeah. if someone is feeling you know someone's angry and you know da, 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 and then it'll come down to hurt it's like ah mm -hmm. so you're angry because you're actually hurt uh-huh so, so so that'll be that'll be one thing uh -huh. And then once we know what the emotion is, then we can talk about it logically. Yeah. Okay. But it, but they're going to want to discuss their emotions first in order mm -hmm. to then look at it logically. And I think some people do make the mistake of going in, you know, I mean it innocently. I mean, there's managers out there who say, like, I, I don't need a mediator. I'm going to go and mediate between these two, you know, employees. And the manager approaches it in a very logical way. And they say, you know, you're, you know, and they, they give credit to those two employees. They say, come on, you know, we're all adults here. And we're going to resolve this and da, da, da. But it's too <laughs> logical. It's too, too much of a logical approach when, when the conflict is generated out of emotions. What I do find is at the end, people are become more, more logical than emotional. But they need to become emotional first. Yeah. In order like to, to rationalise and understand, you know. Because yeah. a lot of people say, do you know, I'm really annoyed with him. And I don't know why I'm annoyed with him. Do they? You know? And they I shouldn't be. And when I go into the, you know, when I go into a room with him and I'm going to, you know, be very calm and I'm not going to, I'm thinking <laughs> this is not going to work, you know, with they, if you're emotional, they need to see some of that emotion <laughs> and did it. <laughs> the thought of going into a room and being very angry with somebody and just trying to remain calm, it's, it sounds like, like really hard work. <laughs> that, that's right. And I say that's not really going to work because as the dialogue progresses, the anger will come out. Yeah, but, uh, the amount of times that people, you know, they're upset, even in tears. I won't cry in front of her, or I won't let her see me upset or him upset. So we need to tackle that first. So yeah. I think sometimes when people are in conflict, it's always like, oh, it's the other person, and we need to mediate. Sometimes when you're in conflict, you actually need to do some internal work yourself. Yes, and that's what I find. So if ever I'm in a conflict with someone, I'm thinking, okay, let me let me check my understanding of the situation. What are my emotions? Why am I feeling so annoyed? You know, let's let's work on ourselves first, rather than just you know blaming other people or telling other people how they ought to be. If we control our state, you know, Jane Robbins talks a lot about state, and it's true. You know, when we stand up, we're different to when we sit down. Our state is different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we're feeling sluggish and we go and do some exercise, how can we feel better as a result? And we actually think we might 
feel more tired after exercise. So if we can control our state, our breathing and our tone, our pace, and maybe maybe do some work, write, write a few things down about how you're feeling before you then go and address a conflict yourself or even get involved in a mediation. You know, I'm not yeah. saying mediators can be everywhere. You're going to have to have some difficult conversations yourself. And I, I do run some courses about having difficult conversations. But at the, 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 all those courses and start start with, can you control yourself first of all your own state do you understand yourself yeah yeah and 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 i think a lot of people i mean i'm quite i'm quite good at that because i don't really know why i'm quite a calm person so i don't i do sometimes lose my temper but it's really you know when i lose it i do lose it but i don't <laughs> very often so and i've i've got to have a, like a really good cause but you know if i do lose it i'm afraid it's just it's like that <laughs> But I do think that that some people, they just do react in a knee-jerk way, don't they? And I know that my ex was like that. And I, I used to think it poor impulsive control. That That's the word, poor impulse control. Because some people, they just don't, they're not able to press the pause button. And they're just, something happens in their heads and they're just reacting the whole time. And Rather than responding. I mean, yeah. I have to talk about that. You know, it's a, just a three-second pause. Yeah, but, you know, that is a very, very difficult thing for some people to learn. And I know that with my ex, <laughs> he <probably laughs> hate it that I've been talking about him. But anyway, he, he won't watch this anyway. So <laughs> it's not just it's not people talk about their work colleagues as though that is their part, ex-partner. You know, it's, it's whoever it is and they don't they don't pause or they can't. Yeah. But what did he used to do? Yeah, so so it's it's to do with you know as I said reacting and literally and my mother was also like this, which is maybe why I ended up with with you know my ex because it was familiar to me. But but it was just this thing of like something would trigger them, and then they would just go off the deep end. And I think that it's not a quick fix for people who have that tendency a lot of the time there is some emotional imbalance there and so I think for me I've never really had that I've, I've always been quite an even-tempered person but the thing that I have learned is that there are just some people who should we say are more emotionally stable than others and there are some people who will always have some difficulty interpersonally because they have some emotional instability and funnily enough, those people also tend to be less receptive, I think, to external interventions and external influences. And whereas the people who are more open and a bit more receptive, they're more malleable, if you like, because yes. they are more kind of responsive and so on. And uh, that's just my observation. But I was just wondering. No, I think it's a yeah. very good observation. Mm. And and actually, those people, there are people, you know, we've got to be honest, there are people out there who are opinionated, who are not willing to, to learn a different approach. And you're right, there will be people who just fly off the handle. I mean, and taking it really mildly, you know, that you'll notice in your circle of friends, you know, whoever's listening to this, there's some people always complaining about something. Yeah, you know the injustice of this, and yes. you and I, we could complain about something every single day if we wanted to, but we choose yes. not to, and yes. that's where we're choosing our reaction, yes. um, or choosing our response rather. Yes, and, and you know it's it's not easy, is it? If we touch on the heart, we're going to react. You're going to pull away our hand, but actually, yes. you can choose your response. You can you just need to pause, even if it's three seconds you can still shout after three seconds but it will be better for yourself as well as the other person but it's interesting there are there are you know there are a lot of people out there who are not open to 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 learning a different way and where does that stem from does you know maybe it's their childhood maybe it's an as you said an emotional imbalance maybe they're more emotionally sensitive or maybe they're not emotionally aware. Yeah, I think I think it's emotionally aware is is the thing. I think that 
some people, I just don't think that they they care, actually. I don't think they care enough about other people and about the impact that they have on other people. And I think yeah. you have to be somebody who cares, I think, in order to modify your behaviour and in order to make the experience of you better for other people fundamentally. And I remember somebody, I can't remember where I read this, but I did read it in a book. It was like, look, you know, most people are 100% selfish. A lot of people are like 98% selfish or <laughs> something like that. And, you know, people that are 49% selfish they or 51% selfish or something, they're in the real minority. So, you know, we're all selfishly driven, but there are some people who are more caring and they are more um, conscious of their impact on others. And I think some people will only be, their behaviour will only be modified if they are basically confronted with a very stark choice. And look, if you don't fall in line, you're going to lose your job. And you're going to have no money and nobody else is going to hire you because you're going to have a terrible reference because you'll be sacked because you behaved in an awful way and you did these terrible things. Yes. So then it's like, oh, OK, right. I better had I better had. And that's, of course, the reason why prisons exist and, and yes. you know, the criminal justice system and all of that. And, you know, that there's a but sort it's of... only when they hit rock bottom or when they have a, a crisis of some kind. Yeah. That they have to change. But you're right. Until then, they don't. They won't. People, no. there are people out there who don't care and we have to yeah. accept that. Yes, okay. exactly, exactly. So those kind of people, I would imagine, the process of, of conflict resolution has to be kind of coupled with a, a very clear awareness, really, of the consequences of inaction or the consequences of staying the same. Whereas other yes. people who are perhaps more motivated by the desire to be liked and to get on well with people and to have a harmonious atmosphere around them and, and to have that happy experience of relationships, they're probably going to be more receptive and more motivated by that and maybe more willing to to kind of just see other people's point of view and yeah but it's yeah, you're right sometimes you do need more <laughs> leverage with those people for sure yeah, and yeah. I, I you know as a, a solicitor and a mediator I do need to find those that leverage um, <laughs> you know it's not always there it's not always apparent but there will be something so when all else fails yeah you know when when someone's worried they will lose their job it's it's surprising how they do fall in line yes um, or, or they have to modify i think it's not even just falling in line they have to modify something they've never had to do in their life because they've always had it a certain way or people have always listened to them and suddenly now the team's not listening to them they they they'll blame the whole team except for themselves the common factor the common denominator so but that's how we change through crisis through conflict we grow conflict is actually a good thing Yes. Through through conflict, something will change, something good will happen, even if it appears, you know, terrible at the time, there'll be a learning of some kind and there'll be some growth of some kind. Your personality right. will change, your, your perception, you can help other people, you'll make better decisions. You know, like they say about how do you make good decisions, you know? By making bad ones, first of all, you know, that's that, right. you know, good judgment is from bad experiences, which came from bad decisions. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Sandy, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you tonight. I've had such a brilliant conversation with you and I, I'm sure that viewers and listeners will really have enjoyed it and appreciated oh, it as well. So if you're listening live on the Smart Connector Group or any of our other platforms i just wanted to say thank you for being with us tonight guys and thank you very very much sandy if people wanted to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to do that oh thank you just before i give that thank you so much for being so open and honest about your experiences as oh, well which has added welcome. to this conversation yeah so, yeah I'm, I'm sandy brown i've got a company called legal mediation so you can contact me www.legalmediation.co.uk and I will then, you know, triage your, your matter, whether it's mediation or if you need a solicitor, then I work at a solicitor's firm as well. Lovely. Well, thank you, Sandy. And I'll see you again soon. 
Yes, thank you for the conversation, Jane, and thank you to everyone who listened. Thanks for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to, rate, and review my podcast as it will help me bring the power of connection to the world. I work one-to-one to help entrepreneurs ignite the power of authentic connection in their businesses and lives. I also help them accelerate their results through attracting and converting more of their ideal clients. And if this is something you'd like to do too, why not head on over to www.idealclientsuccess.com masterclass and I'll show you how.